Welcome back to the Tape Store, everyone. This is Toby. And this is Brooke. And this is Jeff. We were made in the 80s. And played in the 90s. And we are here for a really great episode, really exciting, because this is our 100th episode, the centennial <laughs> yes. episode of the Tape Store Podcast. I want to take this time to thank everyone who has been hanging out with us and been following us on this crazy ride for 100 episodes, and I hope my count's right. Yeah, it'd be funny if it wasn't. Yeah, I know. It would be. <laughs> like if this was actually 99 or 101 or something. No, it's, it's, we, we declare it 100. I'm pretty sure. Now. Yeah, it's got to be now. <laughs> Even if I found out I messed up, I'm like, nope, this is 100. <laughs> and uh, with a special episode like this, we had to, had to bring on my best friend, our best friend. Yes. Jeff, Jeff Darden, all the way <laughs> over from Washington State. Hey, buddy. Hey guys, always great to be here. <laughs> yes, great to have you, and we are entering into High Spooky Month. Yes, High Spooky Month, which is, uh, the, to, the when this episode is releasing, it'll be October Eve. Yes, exciting. So tomorrow is October 1st, and we had to get something really special and something really cool to talk about, and one of the things that... You know, we kind of we kind of go through. Okay, what are we going to do in October? You know, this, 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 and this. And we knew we were going to bring Jeff on for number one hundred. So, what are we going to talk about? And wanted to get something really cool, something that you know, a movie specifically. Yes, uh, we've talked about a few things, a few different types of. Mm-hmm. You know, talked about shows. We talk about. Yeah, and we did, and we did do a um, kind of like a survey from our listeners earlier in the, uh, in this like you know spooky season. Of what they wanted to hear, and we did deviate a little bit from that because this is still very on brand for Spooky Month. Yes, and we'll go back to that list later we in promise. October. But we couldn't ignore this one. No, we couldn't ignore this one. This is a special one. This is a movie that uh, goes back quite a few years with me and Jeff because we we both saw it when we were young, and when we didn't know each other, and when we became best friends, we. It was something we both shared a love for this movie, and Brooke saw it for the first time amazingly. I know. It doesn't make sense to me. If amazingly is a word. It is. Is it? Amazingly. Yeah. Okay. Well, I couldn't believe that Brooke had never seen it because she is a Stephen King fanatic. He's my favorite. He's like my favorite author. Yeah. And the movie that we're talking about this week is Silver Bullet. Oh, yeah. Which is not only one of my favorite Stephen King movies but is my favorite werewolf movie of all time. So yeah, Silver Bullet, if you've never seen it, and it is a werewolf movie. But if you know the werewolf lore, then it's pretty easy to understand Yeah, when you hear the, you know, the name of the movie that, oh, it must be about a werewolf. Yeah, you pretty much know what you're dealing with. Right. We are dealing with a werewolf here. Now, Jeff, now I know why you love this movie and, you know, I know your history with this movie, but for the sake of the listeners, why don't you talk about you know why this is a big one for you and why this is just you know some a movie that you know was important for you as far as like you know your love for film and stuff and horror and all that. Yeah, well, um, you know, I saw it at a very early age. I think it came out like 1985 or something, and um, I saw it uh, for the first time. Um, I was I was sick. Right, I was sick, and I went. So my mom dropped me off at the babysitters early. She's like, "Hey, I can't watch him. You know, you gotta just you mind stick. You know, staying with him all day." She was like, "Sure, you know, but like." And 
she had all these, you know, these, these movies or whatever. And I was trying to figure out, like, hey, what can we watch? And she suggested Silver Bullet. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and, you know, it's I was like six years old, I think, when I watched this movie, six or seven. And um, it, it really, it, it just plays into, like, you know, just another movie that I saw during the 80s that... Where I, I'm a big fan of horror. I'm a big fan of like Gary Busey, Corey Haim, and like it had all the all the elements of at the time, things that I liked. I think you know, um, and I have a love of like practical effects. I wanted to be a practical effects makeup artist at one point when I was a kid, and this movie perpetuated that drive in me of wanting to do that. Um, even though like the end product of the werewolf wasn't great, there are some great scenes in it, like when. That, that dream sequence when like all the people yeah. in the church are yes like, yeah it's amazing like that that's where like the the real special effects and practical effects shine in this movie and scenes like that but like and we'll get to that later but um yeah you know uh i love gary Busey. he's one of my like all-time like i wouldn't say he's my favorite one of my favorite actors but i always love watching him in movies and um yeah you yeah, know, he, brings this, <laughs> he brings this. He brings this. Yeah, he brings this level. Gary Busey brings a level of, especially in the '80s and you know early '90s, he brought a level of outrageous to movies that really only he could bring. Right, right, outrageous, but also weirdly genuine. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I know Jeff. He was great. Yeah, Jeff specifically loves him in Point Break. Right, like, he's just a good dude, you know. And I think he's at his best in Silver Bullet. Yeah, because. And, He's probably one of his best performances, if not his best performance. Yeah, I think we both agreed this was me and Jeff. For me and Jeff, the Toby and Jeff stamp of his best <laughs> performance, for an actor's best performance, for Gary Busey at Silver Bullet. Um, just to give you a quick rundown of the movie before we really get into you know the heart of this thing, because there's a lot of heart in this, and we're going to get into that because, <laughs> because that's important. You can't see it, but Toby is like... Holding his hand out to me because he knows that I'm going to, like, go off about the heart of the movie. Because Brooke has a lot to say about <laughs> Stephen King and yes. and why his uh, brand of horror is so special. Right. So, Silver Bullet was released on a perfect date, October 11th, 1985. Yes. Perfect. Almost, yeah. If it was October 10th, it would have been great because that was me and Brooke's wedding yes, anniversary. Yes, our anniversary. Yeah, but October 11th, 1985. So right in the perfect time, you'd go to a movie and see something scary. Yeah, you're. Yeah, it's it's the beginning of October because you want to keep the spe- the spookiness going. Yeah, it was directed by Dan Attias, or maybe Attias. I'm not sure if I'm saying his last name correctly. Attias. Attias. Okay. This is the this is the only feature film he directed. He was young. He was in his early 30s when he directed oh, wow. this. Yeah, but he's went on to direct, I mean, he's very active. He's went on to direct episodes of Beverly Hills 90210, uh, a popular show in its own right, uh, The Sopranos, Wow, Entourage, and Deadwood. And these are, you yeah. know, these are solid shows. Uh, the screenplay, we, can, we, we know we're in good hands because the screenplay for Silver Bullet is written by Stephen King. Yes. And if you know this is by St- Stephen King, then you know that this was a book before it is a movie. Right. Most likely. Yes. And it is. This is based on his novella, which is like a miniature novel. It's yeah. not it's not as definitely not as you know, it's not like it or the stand. No, no. This is short for Stephen King. It's a novella. Cycle of the Werewolf, which was published in nineteen eighty three. It stars as Brooke uh, excuse me, as Jeff already mentioned, um, Corey Haim. 
who is no longer with us, sadly. Um, yeah. But, man, I love Corey Haim. Love him in this movie. Love him in other movies. Love him in, like, License He's to Drive. He's great. I love him. I love License to Drive. Yeah. That is one of my favorite Me 80s too. movies. <laughs> we need to Dude, do that Lic- movie one day. <laughs> License to Drive is a good, hilarious, <laughs> fun movie. Uh, and it's Corey Haim at his best. God rest him. So, um, Megan Follows. And if you don't know who Megan Follows is, she gained popularity as a, as a child actor as Anne of Green Gables. Right. Uh, Gary Busey, of course, who needs no introduction. <laughs> uh, it also has Terry O'Quinn. And if you don't know who he is, mm-hmm. you should know him by name because he's Locke in Lost. Yes, John Locke. Yeah. Bill Smitrovich. And I know him very well because I've seen him in a few movies. I really like him in uh, 13 Days, which mm-hmm. is about the Cuban Missile Crisis. He plays, uh, I think, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. But Bill Smitrovich is a really good character actor. Uh, Everett McGill and Tova Felcha is the narrator of this movie. Right. And you had heard of her, Brooke, because... Yeah, of- um, she's, I mean, she's pretty big on Broadway, but she's also, um, I, the, the first, my first encounter with her was actually in a made-for-TV um, Holocaust series. Yes. Where she played um, a member of the, of the Jewish resistance and a, a Polish member of the Jewish, and she was in... Incredible, and yeah. I mean that, and, and that came out in the eighties. So honestly, it was probably around this time, and not and, too far from this time. And she, and I I adored her in it. And the approach they take with the film is Tova Felcha is the narrator. Years later, years later. Right. So she's the character of Jane Coslaw, who's the older sister. Right. We're going to get into the characters. So the story's being told in retrospect, and I like that. Yeah. But her voice brings this like tenderness, but kind of haunting. Yeah. She mm-hmm. just did a, a wonderful job narrating. And even though I would say all of her, I guess I don't want to say screen time, but audio time on the movie was maybe a minute. Less yeah, than it, wasn't, a minute, it wasn't much, actually. She adds so much. I remember because my favorite scene in the movie, one of a couple, there's two that I, th- three, there's three of my favorite that, 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 but one of the most powerful scenes she narrates and we're going to get, we're mm-hmm. going to get to that. This is set, and I'm about to hand it off to Brooke, but this is set in fictional Tarkers Mill, Maine. So, Brooke, I'm going to hand it off to you because Stephen King and Maine are two very closely related. Oh, absolutely. Um, so, a, a quick, I mean, goodness, this won't be the, this isn't the first Stephen King topic we've covered. We've covered, in short, uh, Jack from The Shining. But um, this won't be the last uh, Stephen King topic we tackle no, because but as long as I'm alive, we will <laughs> we will tackle Stephen King topics. But what is the deal with Stephen King <laughs> and Maine and these fictional towns he creates? Okay, we know a few. You can name a we few. We do, yes, but, of course. But, and I'm sure Jeff can as well because me and Jeff. That's where that's where me and Jeff uh, are the connoisseurs. We we are Stephen King. Fans. Jeff, yeah, Jeff and Brooke are not afraid. Yeah, <laughs> Jeff and Brooke are not afraid to go into the depths of darkness. No, I, we're not. I kind of stay a little more of the shallow end, right? <laughs> um, but 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 Stephen King has this affinity for Maine, and I'm yes. gonna, obviously you're going to explain it. And and these fictional towns he creates, Tarker's Mill is where Silver Bullet takes place, right? And Stephen King is actually, I mean, he grew up in Banger, Maine. Which, if you, if any of you are uh, fans beautiful of... Beautiful state, by the way. Beautiful, gorgeous. If any of you are fans of It, um, he based Derry on Banger, 
Maine. Um, actually, your mom went to visit Maine with her family this summer. We're jealous. And, yeah, and she sent me pictures of Banger, and I hated her for it. I didn't know she went to Banger. Yeah, no, I hate her. Like, I don't. My mom, who has. <laughs> she does not care one lick. She's probably for never. Stephen King. Who's never looked at a Stephen King book for longer than a second. No, probably. she's like, I don't like that. That's dark. And, I, and right. I'm like, listen, don't ever go to Maine ever again. I love you, mom. <laughs> we love you, Roxanne. <laughs> But we'll she right. went, and they sent me a picture of Steve, pictures of Stephen King's house, of like all that. Yeah, I mean he doesn't live there right now, but you know, like his estate, and if Brooke you will. Should have been there. I should have been there. It's upsetting. I'm not over it. It's fine. But yeah. um, <laughs> anyways, um, Stephen King grew up in Maine, so Maine is where he bases a lot, like really a majority of his characters. Um, Tarker's Mill. Borders Castle Rock, if any of you are familiar with that, um, and Tarker's Mill and Chester's Mill um, are they? They're often referred to as twin mills. If you're familiar with Under the Dome, Chester's Mill uh, is the town that like disappears. Wow. Okay. So, so Tarker's Mill and Chester's Mill are like neighboring cities. Wow. So if you're if there's a map of you know if, if we could if we could show you a map of Stephen King's Maine. Tarker's Mill and Chester's Mill would be bordering, and then Castle Rock would be very near. All these, all these Stephen King cities, like are Salem, very near. Salem's Lot, I guess. Salem's Lot, well, yeah. It's, not, it's a Jerusalem's Lot. Actually. Jerusalem, right? Okay. And then it's like, um, uh, what's the town that um, Pet Cemetery? It's like right next to Jerusalem's Lot. Like they're, yeah. they're all, yes. they're all right in the same like. Basically, mile Maine is not <laughs> you know safe. <laughs> I think uh, you should stay away from Maine, is what Stephen yeah, King is saying. Yeah, not, but not to jump out of silver bullet. But I think, I mean, to get into it, just a minute, because I know. Oh, that's going to happen. Don't worry about that. Maine is some kind of very central part of the universe, essentially. Yes, right? the Stephen King universe is the the SKU. You know yeah. what I mean? Like it's definitely its own very powerful entity. There is there's something very something wicked this way comes. Right. When it comes to Maine, as far as Stephen King is concerned. But um, Tarker's Mill is supposed to be, it's slated as a small town. You know, everybody cares about everybody. Um, which is how all of Stephen King's novels, well, not all of them, but many of them do start out. And try to stay that way. Uh, yeah, but there's always an evil underlying force in all of them as well. Yeah, so. it's, it's really interesting. And I, I didn't realize that he had he had weaved his stories together in this se- the same general area. Yeah, like uh, if you're a, a on lot pa- of, a lot of his iconic ones. Let's yeah, say. like if you're on like I'm I'm I love Pinterest and I have like a whole Pinterest board that's just Stephen King because I'm psychotic. It's fine. Um but one of the, like I have a several pins on Pinterest that have the Stephen King maps of just different cities or the entire universe and it's so cool to see the potential connections between yeah. towns or townships or counties, whatever. It's so interesting. Yeah. yeah we get like a whole month devoted to Stephen King. I would not be upset about this. We will do that, I promise. Thank you, I love you. Okay, so <laughs> to, to, to get to get back to the novella. Yes, sorry. No, no, no. This is all part of the all part of the plan. Uh so the novel, the novella, also called a novelette. That's it, cute was inspired uh Stephen King actually this started out not as a story but um Stephen King was working on a 12 month calendar uh in partnership with a comic artist named Bernie Wrightson 
Like he did Creep Show, you know, the comic book, the, the the artistry in the comic book, and all that. Yeah, and so so basically, he was gonna. Um, Wrightson was going to do the art, and King just had these little vignettes. Yeah, right, little, right, right, right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he and Stephen King decided, thank God, he decided I'm going to make a story out of this. So again, twelve months, he decides to make a story from this, uh, which takes place over the span of a year, each month being a chapter with the werewolf killing a victim every full moon. Hence, it's called Cycle of the Werewolf. Right. And yeah, I, I think love. The, um, uh, What's his name? Corey Haim's character. He, he he only like appeared in like two comic books or something like that, or two stories. Yeah, like, very he, quick. He comes chapters, later. Yeah, uh, Marty I think is like in around the middle of the story, oh. around April. Ar- Marty appears in the story in April. Right now, Marty's important. He's not a fleeting character in in the story. He's a central character, but he doesn't appear until April. Um, and I want to go to the film. I love the poster. It's like it's like a pitch black poster. And it's like a, a town at night, and you see the full moon and the tagline. And they don't do taglines like they used to. No, they don't. Taglines would which sometimes is, they do, which is the little but... the little saying that kind of gives you something about the film, a little flavor, right. a little taste of the film. And this is what it says on Silver Bullet: It started in May in a small town, and every month after that, whenever the moon was full, it came back. Yep. And that's just any you know, Silver Bullet, and that, I, I just love that. You know, it's creepy and. You know, so to get into the film, the events take place between May and October of 1976. Yes. So obviously compressed for the sake of the film, uh, and obviously because we're following Marty, as Jeff pointed out. Right. May and October of 1976. Uh, now I want to get into a big point of the story here uh, that that we drew from it. Though this is a werewolf story, um, like Stephen King, it's not just a monster story for the sake of the monster. No. This is actually very much a coming-of-age story Yeah, about the bond between two siblings, Jane Coslaw, who is Megan Follows, and her younger paraplegic brother, Marty Coslaw, which is Corey Haim. Marty's in a wheelchair, but not just any wheelchair. It's a custom motorized one, almost like a little go-kart, and it's called the Silver Bullet. Now, this is important. I like this. Yeah, You know, I kind of want to talk about this for a second because this is what Stephen King does. When you look at the movie and it's called Silver Bullet, you think werewolf. Right. But the fact that Marty drove this little motorized wheelchair cart around and had already named it Silver Bullet should tell you right then and there, this is not just about some monster. This is a story about Marty. It's also a story about Jane. She's coming of age. She's, you know, she's 15. She's a young woman. Yeah. And there's even, like, references. She's, like, the age of my students right now. Well, and I teach sophomores. Yeah. And, and <laughs> they're and, all 15, 16. Jane sees herself as being the burdened, older, responsible sibling who always has to look after Marty, who she's jealous of, because she sees his condition as something that garners him uh, attention, getting out of trouble. And this actually isn't because of Marty. No. He's not this, like, spoiled, you know. No, Marty's precious. He is. He admires and loves Jane. Actually, the, 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 um, this whole situation with Jane is because of her overprotective mother yeah. and her father, which is caring, but he's aloof. He, right? he's, he's barely present. But it's, I, don't think it's be, I, I don't think it's because he's not present. I just The story does not focus on him. I mean, Jeff, did you get from this that this is more than just a werewolf story? Yeah, I mean, like you said, like, uh, it, it, it is very much about like, you know, the, you know, the story of two siblings coming together. You know, and because like she's the only one who believes him, 
at first, you know, and <coughs> I, I actually love Jane. She, she's like one of my favorite characters. I love oh. her. She's yeah. I mean, and she's wonderful. Yeah, she's very human too. Absolutely. I'm surprised and- she she didn't go on to do more things. She's a really good actress, and I guess yeah. she only she she's like the the Law and Order, the CSI one and done actress you know yeah characters like Grey's anatomy and epi- <laughs> you know like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um you know and, well she did return to Anne of green gables when they did the follow-up in 2000 i don't know if you know that <laughs> i didn't know that i didn't know she was i i actually yeah. never grew up watching or reading Anne of green gables i'm like mom. one of the few few girls my age that never read that because i assumed i wouldn't like it my mom loves Anne of green gables of course know. she does um, she doesn't like steam king she likes Anne of green gables but so, and and Brooke, just again, being the literary mind, we saw little things throughout the movie. I don't know if you picked up on them. I like the fact, uh, a, a coming-of-age story from Silver Bullet, you know, maybe for some somebody might be like, well, how is that a coming-of-age? Well, in the beginning of the story, Marty plays a prank on Jane. And what's Jane doing when Marty plays the prank? She's flirting with a boy. She's flirting with a boy. And Which is very typical for her age. Yeah, she's flirting with a boy, and she can't fully enjoy this this process mm-hmm. of growing into a woman because this little brother. She's essentially a caretaker, and not and only she's the, been named a caretaker by her parents. And later on in the movie, there's uh, when they're having this par- a little get together. The family is uh, Marty makes a comment about uh, Jane in this shirt, mm-hmm. and she's acting like she's never had breasts. Right. You know, yeah. So there's these little little moments where you realize that you might think that he's the the the, the main protagonist, but Jane is just as much the protagonist. Absolutely. And that's where I think we get the coming of age part. Yeah. Like you really have to dig deep to get the fact that this is also about Jane becoming her own woman. Yeah, it's very much about both of them, and they're both at very different stages. Yeah, I think it's almost an equal because she's narrating. You know, she's almost she's telling the story. You know, and. But you got Marty, who is the Stephen King always does it. He he always makes like he always brings this child in, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the one that discovers the supernatural force and is trying to tell everybody, and nobody believes them. You know, like he does that in many of his books. And so, like Marty, Marty's good in that role, but I think Jane really is, in a way, the main character. You know, of the story. Well, and Jeff, I want to add to that because I actually okay. So I I watched an interview with Stephen King. It wasn't even for this episode. It was just because I'm an idiot and I love Stephen King. But I was watching. <laughs> it was a special features of um, it chapter two, um, and Stephen King was talking about specifically. Uh, now this is obviously about it, but but it it applies to this situation because you just you know you brought up. He always brings. He always has a kid in there that sees things and experiences things. He says, he said in his interview, and I I have actually, I have the interview saved on my phone. I need to post it. But he said, kids truly fear is different for children because they believe it. Right. They, they, they go next to a sewer and they can believe a clown is down there and will drag them down. Adults have barriers that we have to get through. We have barriers of realism, of things we've been through. Like, listen, I've seen it all. A clown in a, in a sewer is not real. But a child has, in, in a way, a power that enables them to believe the impossible for good or ill. Right. And 
that's where Marty is special because he sees a werewolf and questions nothing. It's a werewolf. Jane is interesting because she is at the cusp of adulthood and childhood. So she has to decide whether she's going to straddle the fence or if she's going to fully commit. We're gonna get yeah, we're gonna and get it. and it's and I love that and, and we're gonna get into that actually that's really good, um, but to, to move the narrative forward because we're yeah. gonna no, absolutely no, no. Keep come going, back keep to going. that point no, um, but well no to to continue on to your point right we've gotten you know we're we're quite a bit into the episode uh, as far as a, of the podcast. And we've not even, you know, we've gotten into this, we, we've talked a lot about the film already, and we've we've gotten into this deep stuff. Yeah. There's no sign Hasn't of... Hasn't even started yet. <laughs> there, well, there's, there's, there's no sign of a werewolf. No. And what does that tell us about Stephen King's brand of horror? Stephen King uses, I think, horror as a, it's, uh, it's more of a mechanism. It's not so much, he, yes, of course he writes horror, and he has blood and gore and scary stuff. But it's all just a vehicle to human experience. Right. We, you know, it's, I think there's a G.K. Chesterton quote that says, you know, we, you know, we believe in dragons because, you know, we, let's teach our children dragons and fairy tales because there are e- more evil things in the world. We learn lessons through these scary things. And I think ultimately Stephen King is doing an adult version of that. He's that's what, that's giving what... us monsters because... We do deal with monsters. They just look different. That's why when I think of like it, yeah. what, I, what I take from it is the Losers Club, not necessarily Pennywise, even though... And that's what you're meant to get from it. It is what you're meant to get from and it. And it's just this beautiful story about friendship. It is 100% about the friendship. Yeah. Yes. And, and, and I see with, with, and with Silver Bullet, it's the story of these two siblings, both independent, but also as siblings. Right. Uh, and, and I just love that about Stephen King is there's so much heart behind all of the horror. It's, yeah, the, Stephen King, you can't divorce heart from horror. That's, yeah. With him. You could be quoted on that. <laughs> Quote me, babies. If he ever somehow stumbled upon our podcast, <laughs> I, I would hope he'd appreciate that. But let's talk about the narrative. It gets right off the ground in, in the film uh, as the werewolf claims its first victim, a rail a railroad worker. It's tongue-tied there. Uh, named uh, Arnie Westrom, singing the Rheingold beer song. Rheingold beer. Yeah. Uh, while he's drinking on the job at the railroad station. Now, understand, he was drinking on the job. That says a lot about him. He right. Was, he was a drunk, well-known around the town to be dr- you know drinking a lot. He works at night. No one's checking his work. So people it's th- fine. And he works at a railroad, so people yeah. thought he had been hit by a train. Right. I mean, he his body was badly mangled. It's Yeah. Yeah. It speaks for... Theoretically, it speaks for itself. But moving to our next victim... Uh, Stella Randolph. This is sad. This yeah. is really sad to me. This is a woman who was uh, pregnant after an affair. And, and based on the way the film yeah. kind of couched it, it was like an illicit affair. Um, but I guess she, she was trying to, you know, I guess make it right with yeah, her husband or whatever. The guy was like, no, I'm not having it. And, and we know because Jane sees all this happen. But uh, she's killed in her home by the werewolf while, while attempting suicide. I hate that was a hard for, for me. That was a, that was a hard scene to watch. It's really hard. She was so devastated. And and she was like, well, I'm going to hell anyway. So Whatever. Now, it was just so sad. Well, now I'm going to turn to Jeff, who, you know, the film guy. You know, <laughs> not that I'm not a film guy, but Jeff is my fellow film guy. <laughs> Jeff, it seemed like the 80s had a much more harder and raw presentation of that stuff. Yeah. It seems like there's so much flourish and in, in, in now with, with movies and stuff nowadays. 
it just it was really in your face. In the it was 80s. very raw. Like this is what I'm doing. Yeah. Would you? Did you pick that up at all? Well, I mean, I didn't think, think about it until you just said it. But yeah, like uh, I guess so. I think I think today everything's because there are so many you know politics or so. It, it's such a big force in our lives um, that directors may not you know pull the trigger on scenes like that, and or, or you know because they don't want to like, do, you know upset like half of the you know their potential <laughs> you know right um ticket you know buyers or whatever so i I don't know like i mean but yeah i think the 80s uh it's such a great time for film because people were just like they didn't care there it was just like i'm i'm making this and i don't care what people think you know well it just just to go back to talker's mill small town everything is centered around if you can you know as you can imagine these small small it seems like a conservative town right everything's centered around the uh culture of the church in fact, I believe she makes a comment, uh, Stella does, she's taking pills. Right. She makes a comment about her religious beliefs about yeah. how, you know... She would be destined for hell for doing this. Right. But so, she said anything, but but she was like, whatever, but, you know, basically anything's better than this. Yeah, and that's an important point. It comes up yes, later. Yes, it is. Well, but also, it, it it's another way, it's another vehicle for, for Stephen King to relay to his audience that even if you're in a small town with conservative values, that seems perfect on the outside right all these issues are not separate no the it's, the it's, same things that go on in a big city that's above the surface go on in a small town under the surface yeah like everyone is still human yeah people yeah, still absolutely. mess up people still you know make mistakes or or you know engage in whatever like right. it's it's just unfortunately within a small town there's more masks to put on yeah and this and this, this young lady is just it's kind of trapped by it's, this. It's sad by the outside pressure of what people would think of her. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's terrible. It's very sad. Um, it made me. It made me really sad. But the werewolf. The and, and what's also unfortunate is the, the werewolf kills her. Um, and that's when these yeah the pe- pills do not get the chance to do their job because no. the werewolf does. Uh, and that's when these uh the killing, which we know is the werewolf because we're seeing third person omniscient. You mm-hmm. know. But that's when the that's when we see law enforcement led by Sheriff Joe Haller and this is um, Terry O'Quinn uh, begin to pick up the investigation as a, as murder. Right. This is this is a murder. This is some depraved uh, savage. Well, yeah, murder. because the first the first attack is the railroad. We we can assume that it was something else, but she's found. Is it by her mother? I think so. Yeah, it's by her mother. And she, you know, was living, you know, it's not like she had someone living with her. She was found horribly mangled. So it was clear that somebody else did this. The murders become classified as serial when one of Marty's uh, schoolmates, abusive dad, while he's watching the NWA, he's watching wrestling, uh, is killed in his greenhouse by the wolf. So we have Westrom, we have Stella Randolph, and now we have... Marty's classmate or schoolmate's dad of three. Who just was that we... very sweet on Marty, I might add. Marty's got game. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she gave him a little kiss. Oh, that's right. She did like I was like, okay, kiss. Marty. As this continues, uh, the town of Tarker's Mill, as Brooke calls, the old guys at the bar, I think, the old guys at the counter. Yeah, the old guys at the counter. That that talk. You They're know. in. The, that's, that's a Stephen King special yeah right there uh and one particular citizen andy fairton and this is uh bill smitrovich 
uh, begins to grow impatient with local law enforcement. You know, you're not doing your job. You can't get this done. Uh, the truth is, as we know, this is a werewolf who could ever be prepared to handle right. a, a supernatural force like this. The town descends into chaos, though, when the werewolf attacks and kills a young boy, Ugh. Marty's best friend. Awful. His name is Brady Kincaid, while he's out flying a kite. And Brady, um, you don't see him get killed. You just see him flying the kite, but they, they, they kind of keep the camera on him for a while to let you know that this kid's in trouble. You know, Marty kind of looks back at him. Yeah. Before, you know, and I think, I think Jeff is going to have some things to say about this because I think, Jeff, you thought about the same thing that I thought about in this scene. Yeah, what was that? Go ahead. What's that? Was this was this moment where where the, when the kid got you know when unfortunately the kid was murdered that you thought about Jaws? Well, yeah, and and obviously the parents' uh, subsequent reaction, same scenario, and and also I I want to point out um, that uh, the original uh, director who was Don Coscarelli, who was actually replaced by Dan Attias, wanted it to be like Jaws. They He wanted it to be, and so did Stephen King. This is where Don Coscarelli and Stephen King shared the same um, view, is that it needed to be like the werewolf, need to be like Jaws. You, know, you could not see the monster until the end. Yes, you know? I was wondering if they were going to do that, to be honest. And and that's where it kind of, uh, I mean, for those of you who don't know, do you mind if I go into a little bit of the production stuff with that? Yes, please. Ab- absolutely not. I mean, absolutely. Well, yeah, I don't so care. Don, Don <laughs> Coscarelli was the original director. He directed a Phantasm, and he directed ninety percent of this movie. Like he shot n- about ninety percent of it, and um, you can tell uh, the scenes where Don Coscarelli shot—they're almost dreamlike. Like when uh, Jane is like gathering bottles and stuff around. And, yeah, and, and, like it's it's this you know, and then she goes into like the store, and everyone's like the guys are just looking at her. And she's just, you know, it's 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 that really, it's a really Cinematic. amazing like scene, this whole thing. And in my opinion, I feel like Everett McGill, his his character, the preacher, uh, I can't remember his, his what, what, what's his name, what's his character's name? Uh, Reverend Lowe. Reverend Lowe. Yes, I feel like he is way more terrifying in this movie than the oh, werewolf. absolutely, <laughs> like absolutely, any scene he is in. Like when she's like in the garage, you know. Oh, it's like horrifying. That's the most like tense moment in the entire movie, and that's Don Coscarelli. And then Dan Attias, he's a good director, as you said. He went on to do some great things. He mostly just shot the werewolf stuff, like throughout oh. the movie, because they could not uh, between uh, the producer. Um, um, you remember his name? I said it earlier. Uh, Lauren, uh, uh, Dino, Dino De Laurentiis. Yeah, he wanted like a fast, crazy like werewolf. Like he wanted a dancer to play the werewolf, and like it'd be like agile and crazy, and like. <laughs> and but Stephen King insisted on it being like big hulking monster um, that you didn't see until the end. He wanted it to be this terrifying, huge monster. But the problem was they kept arguing about it, and that's why uh, Don Coscarelli left left because they were like, "All right, you guys are nuts. I'm out." You know, and oh, okay. and Atia stepped in, and they only had like three weeks to make like that werewolf costume, which is why it didn't turn out so great. <laughs> People like, <laughs> right. like, you know, and that's the only real criticism I can give this movie is is as how bad the werewolf looked at the end. You know, throughout the movie, they did a good job of hiding most of it and only showing it for a few seconds. You know, like when he gets shot with the with the firework and stuff like that. Um, 
but yeah um that 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 that's a really cool like you know uh, factoid you know for you guys out there and uh to that point basically when when the when brady is killed and we find his kite and it's covered in blood yeah and it uh, harkens uh, back to jaws when you see the flotation device floating in the water and it's also in the you know it's bloody it's in the bloody water yes. and then we have the mother you know, she slaps, you know, you know, she's Brody. Brody. Yeah, all Alex that. Kentner's mom. And then, but of course, you know, in this movie, we have the devastating father. Yeah. Which you have some, some notes. So th- there's something about, for me, and I think it's just my own personal thing, uh, seeing a father react to the loss of a child. Oh, gosh. Yeah, it's um, awful. I think, you know, I think especially in the history of cinema and stuff, you know, or I think even in the history of maybe fatherhood, you know, mm-hmm. Fathers, especially around around the eighties, they're baby boomers. These mm-hmm. stoic, you know, don't show a lot of emotion. Yeah. Um, which I, I have to t- make a point to say, um, there is a movie. It's it's not in the nineties. It's called Harry Potter and the Go- and the Goblet of Fire. Um, the reaction of um, uh, spoiler alert. If you have, I, mean, I figure most of our listeners listen. Are probably, it's it's been out for a while. If you haven't seen it yet, I'm sorry. Most of our <laughs> listeners know know about Harry Potter and have and have seen the movies, read the books. But um, uh, uh, the the scene in Goblet of Fire in the movie when uh, Cedric Diggory's yeah. dad reacts to his death. Uh, I used to, you know, I remember when I when I first watched the movie, I, I I had not had any children. I wasn't even married, and I was like, oh, that sucks. Yeah, it's still sad. As a father, I can't watch that scene. It's awful. The um, it was awful. Yeah. Uh, and uh, when uh, Herb Kincaid finds his son, um, and and by the way, I have to mention the actor who plays Herb Kincaid. His name's Kent Broadhurst. He is an actor, playwright. This guy is an a, he's an no artist. Joke. Yeah. He he's a phenomenal actor. Uh, w- another guy I would have loved to have seen him more stuff. Um, so there's a little story behind this scene to talk about production. Um. They were going to have the body of Brady, like they were going to have like a dummy and like Oof, you know have yeah. it all mauled up and stuff by the werewolf. Um, but apparently, um, uh, and I watched this interview with Kent Broadhurst, and yeah. he said, "I got there at two a.m. It was a, a night a night scene set up for two a.m." He said he gets there, and the director Dan Adius is just beside himself because the 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 the, the prosthetic, the dummy, the dead body of of Brady uh, looked just terrible it horrible said, yeah said, not horrible as in horrible no, devastating horrible yeah not devastatingly horrible as far as like um realistic it, it, it just looked bad as yeah. far as special effects go right well kent broadhurst said how about this he goes i think i can give you what you want without you ha- ever having to show the body and he said dan Addis was like thank you go <laughs> for it so we get this reaction of herb kincaid seeing his son and it is for again. This is silver bullet. This isn't you know. This isn't you know something that's going to win an Oscar. It's not Academy Award winning necessarily. But the reaction to Herb Kincaid seeing his son in a way that no parent should ever see their child. I don't care where you're from. I don't care what your walk of life is. Um, is is really gripping. Yeah, um, it was horrible. I was like, oh, I'm not okay. <laughs> and this is and this is where the movie gets really. This is where it really starts to move, you know. And Jeff, do you remember that? I mean, you're a dad. I mean, you remember? I mean, you you watched the movie for the show. I mean, yeah, you watched a what is it? A couple months when like I a, when I saw him, I had forgotten about it. And when when the dad ran up, I said, "Please don't show the dad's reaction." I know. I had to look over at Toby. And I was yeah. like, "Are you okay?" <laughs> I mean, 
Yeah, no, I, I, I feel you. Like, I, I, everything you just said, you know, I, I completely agree. <laughs> um, it, it, it was, I mean, and it's, it's almost like the director was like, I need, like, a Broadway stage actor to do this scene. Like, let's just find somebody who can come in and, like, <laughs> like sell this. Uh, it, it was, it was, I mean, he it really, really brought it home for me, this, this dad. I mean, he, he's like what made it real. Like, you know, like that this, this is a, it's a fantasy movie. It's a horror movie, whatever about werewolves. But, but man, when, when you get a performance like this, it, 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 it draws out that parental like emotion and, and, you know, and it, it's great. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, it was it's, his one, guttural it's one of those little scream. Things that makes this movie such a gem, you know? Yeah, and and I, I'm jumping ahead with the deaths. We're going to go back and kind of talk about kind of what's been going on with the Coslaws, but, you know, but but it, it was important to get to this point because the death of Brady really made this like, oh, man, it's serious now because uh, Sheriff Haller was carrying the kite and he was saying a Hail Mary. Yeah, yeah. Um, which... Uh, doesn't speak so much to the religion of 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 the Hail Mary, which is Catholicism. I'm, I'm just saying it, it speaks to the fact that this is this town is going to come apart over this. Yeah. I mean, it, it, you have the law enforcement, the sheriff, who's like supposed to be the you know. You look to law enforcement as like okay, they're holding it down, they're keeping the peace. Yeah, you know. Well, and there's something to be said about you know you can if you if you think you're dealing with a serial killer, right. and you have adults, that's one thing. When you bring a child into it, right? It's that over. is a and that is an entirely other situation, and, and it's devastating to the parents, of course. God forbid, the town. I mean, n- literally, no one's safe. There's no demographic. Like, no. it's not like, hey, ladies, be careful after nightfall. No, it's like, hey, no uh, uh, it could be anybody. Right. So this it's it's, it's definitely far more threatening than we had thought before. And um, Jeff's already mentioned him, but as all this is going on, the man that the people in the town begin to look to for guidance and comfort is Reverend Lowe, played by actor Everett McGill, who, as Jeff said, has this appearance, and he does. He has this very striking appearance. Mm -hmm, He does. Uh, He tries comforting the town, but also tries keeping them from losing their minds in the midst of this. And I remember, you know, Brooke had never seen the movie, and initially (laughs) Brooke was like, oh, I feel so bad for the pastor. He's just trying to help everybody. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, just you wait. At the very beginning, to be fair, I I guessed it quickly. So, one of the big uh, scenes in this movie, I think that that, that if you're a a big film buff, especially if you're a horror film guy, um, it's a good scene no matter how you look at it, but uh, uh, Brady's funeral is this, it's not, it's not quite, uh, you know, it's really awful, you know, but it's not the only funeral because there is another series of deaths. We have, um, once Brady is killed, uh, Andy Fairton loses it and and, and he decides to get a big group of guys and I think we saw one lady in the midst, like the yes, the, lady. the bar, the barmaid or whatever. Yeah, and it's the the, the bars like, where I'm coming too. The bar seems to be where they're all meeting up and talking and stuff. And he puts together a good old fashioned mob. Yep, I'm talking. I, we got the pitchforks, we got the hats, we got right. the, the, the lumberjack, <laughs> the, the lumberjack plaid. Yeah, they got in it all. Maine. Huh? I mean, I thought that was a southern thing. I guess it's everywhere. Yeah. Um, well, they form. A, he form. Andy Fairton forms a group of uh, vigilantes along with uh, Herb, uh, Brady's dad, to form a. Uh, they form a mob. They they. Seek, They've been drinking all night, by the yeah, way. Yeah, and they seek what they think is a deranged killer in the woods. 
they go out into the woods, and the werewolf ends up claiming three victims, uh, one of them being the town's barkeep, and I'm mentioning him, uh, Owen Knopfler. Uh, the wolf bludgeons to death with a wooden baseball bat. His his own baseball his bat. His own. Yeah, the, the wolf isn't walking it around was, with a bat. No, it's, yeah, because, I mean, it made me laugh because in a previous scene, when they were all at the bar, uh, he his bat was called the peacemaker. Yes, the peacemaker. It's like ca- hey, the, you know, I mean, the peacemaker. Like, like obviously, yeah, like, like, hey, shut up, don't don't cause a problem. Yeah, he etched it into the wood, right. of the bat, and he's like saying, basically, this is what he pulls out when he gets rowdy in the bar. Right. So it was, you know, it's obviously highly symbolic that the werewolf itself yes. bludgeons him with the peacemaker. This plays an important role in the story, but three of the the mob are killed. One of them is Owen Knopfler with his own bat, the peacemaker. That's important because at the funeral for the the three people in the mob, mm-hmm. we think it's the funeral, but this is in fact a dream sequence. Yeah. And Jeff, you you wanted to talk about this specifically because this is what really impacted you as far as especially somebody being into film and special effects. Um, it, we see Reverend Lowe giving words of comfort. Attempting to give words of comfort. He's got three coffins well, lo- in front of him. <laughs> I love how this scene transitions from the murders and then all of a sudden, like, right to the funeral. It's almost like a comical, you know what I mean? There's almost like yeah. a comical timing to it. Um, but yeah, and then, but but this is this is where the special effects shine. As you, as you know, like, the, I, I, maybe they just did not have a great special effects team, which is surprising because Phantasm. Uh, Don uh, Delara, whatever his name is, <laughs> sorry, his um, <laughs> like um, it, 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 that that that's a movie that specializes in like gore and like you know some really awesome practical effects. And then you you mentioned like the the kid, you know, the kid's body was like not great, and they couldn't film it. It was so stupid. But like this scene is where if there's any like you know redeeming element to the special effects, this is the scene where that happens because the. The congregation begins to turn into werewolves. It's 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 a it's a nightmare that he is having, you know, and it's it's a great it's it's a pretty effective scene because you know as as a viewer you're like what is going on now you know, <laughs> <laughs> right yeah, well, yeah. So this is important because it, it is a dream. We think it's the real funeral. Reverend Lowe's giving this message, and suddenly, as Jeff said, the congregation. I mean, the sheriff's there. He turns into a werewolf. A uh, her uh, Herb Kincaid, Brady's dad turns yeah. into yeah. Well, all... even before that though, they're the the way they looked at him. Was so vengeful and like right, so but, hateful, right? And twenty hindsight being twenty twenty, yeah, right. But right, right. Reverend Lowe wakes up and what does he say? He says, um, "Oh wait, what does he say?" He says, "Please, Lord, let yeah, it." Yeah, please let let it end. And that was yeah, because I because I was watching it with Toby and like I can't be quiet when I'm watching things because I'm a horrible movie watcher. But I was like, man, like what the heck? And when he, I said, this reminds me. I said, this is kind of a well-known trope in literature. Like, the religious person has occult visions. And then when he said, let it be the end, meaning he saw the werewolves and woke up and said, let it be the end. I'm like, wait a minute. I was like, hold on a second. How would you know this was, how did you know it even began? Right. So then I was like, well, crap. And Everett McGill, great And also, it, it's a little, it's a little confusing to me, because, uh, like if you remember, like when the mob was being formed and they're all getting ready to go, like the the Reverend Love is out. He's out there. He's trying to stop them from going. He's like, you know, don't don't do this, you know, because he's like, I'm don't want to kill you all. Yeah, <laughs> you know, well, kind yeah, of thing. 
Yeah. That's the now I know that. Them. Yeah. But then when uh, when Jane is in like you know his his garage, he, she's like he's like stalking her, you know, almost like in this weird way, and and you're kind of thinking like, well, God, is he like? Is he is is Reverend Love evil in 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 his heart or not? You know, they, like ask that question. Well, I think the it whole it does beg that well, question. That's why I like the werewolf. It, it's this idea of even a good person. Let's jump out. I, I'm not, it won't be long. Let's look at Professor Lupin in Harry Potter. I knew you were going to say that because I was going to say that a purely <laughs> a purely good guy. I didn't know a we were going to have so many Harry Potter uh, references. Yes, well, a purely good man Lupin was. Mm-hmm. But something in him he couldn't control. Right. And not only is it something he can't control, when it's unleashed, it's deadly. Right. Uh, so where, so people who are werewolves in, in, in werewolf lore in general, I'm just speaking in general, that you can be the best person in the world mm-hmm. and be burdened and troubled. Right. And divided in a way that's so... Right. And this is where, this is where like vampire lore is different from... Werewolf war because if you're if you're turned into a vampire, forget it. Like you're a vampire, you can have remorse and stuff, but that is not going to change your craving. You're going to still have to do what you got to do. You're, yeah, but a vampire, you are you until you're not. Yeah, and there's nothing you can do about it. And it's interesting because actually recently I um I assigned a, a short story to my classes, and it is about a werewolf. But it was from the flip side. It was from the the wolf family's perspective. And they're talking about how, oh, dad is different. Like the husband's different. He's acting weird. And they're wolves. And they find out he's a human. And then they have to attack him and kill him because he's trying to attack them. And then she's thinking, oh, he'll turn back into my husband once he's dead. But no, he's a human. So yeah. the the where the whole and and I mean as far as I know as far as um J.K. Rowling when she wrote Lupin she was in her mind thinking of like a lot of times a, a metaphor for like you know like AIDS like it's it's a thing that you can't control it's a thing that is that could attack she said that mm-hmm. wow that it could attack and it's not you don't mean for it to but wow. it does mm. and however Reverend Lowe is different because. I think like like Jeff, like you said in the mob, he's like, no, no, guys, don't, don't do this, and that's when I felt bad for him. I was like, oh, the poor pastor, he's trying I, no, to help I the town. Was, I think he was being sincere. He was being sincere, but as we're gonna find out later with Marty's story, the closer it gets to this next full moon, he's becoming more the wolf and think, less low. I think something snaps, yeah. Right. So I think he's kind of like, I'm done being low. Yeah, and I'll th- just be. The, the worst side of me, and then when I turn, I'm not going to have as much remorse. Yeah, and, and there's some other stuff that I think uh, that lo- is going Excuse on me. in Lowe's mind, and and and, and we're going to get to that. But um, so I want I want to I want to leave. It's going to be like a four hour episode. So, so we've had this. We've had this. I mean, a lot of people are dead, but in the midst of this, it's for, it's it's the summer's coming, and the and we've co- not talked much about Marty. No, but the Coslaw family. Right. We're going to get back to the Coslaw family. Right. Because we've been talking about the wolf and, and, and what the wolf's been doing and how this is tearing the town apart. But the Coslaw family now, around the summer, when the summer comes, uh, right. they decide to invite one of their family to stay <laughs> with them during the summer. 
It is beloved Nan, family. It is Nan's brother, Jane and Marty's uncle, and his name is Red. <laughs> uncle Red, Gary Busey, his best performance. Okay. About to pass it. I know you've had the ball for a little bit, Brooke. I'm going to pass it back to you for a minute. Okay, okay, okay. Let me talk about Red for a second. Let me just... <laughs> uh, he's he's purely good. He, he, he's chaotic good. Chaotic good. Uh, well, this is what <laughs> I put in my notes about Red. He's purely good, but flawed. Yes, he, he absolutely. Dr- he's got an issue with drinking. He has troubled relationships with women. Uh, if I could sum Red up, he's a big kid. Oh, absolutely. But I put... In honor of Brooke, in my notes, <laughs> that Red is the wise fool. Thank you. <laughs> he is. Because Red, Every story has a wise fool. Because Red is able to see things that even Nan, who is Marty and Jane's mother, can't. And what is that, right? Him and Nan get into it about Marty. Right. Got, I, I'm going to set you up for it, Brooke. Just hold on. <laughs> the, the first night Red's there, so we, we it's scary, but you see. The first night Red's there, he's we see him playing cards with Marty. Mm-hmm. Marty adores Red. So sweet. Red adores Marty. It's it, it's I, a very precious relationship. I can't talk about it too much. <laughs> but we we might have teared up yeah. a few times watching so, this. I, I did I did get emotional. I know uh, you did. <laughs> he plays cards with Marty. That, so we see Red playing cards with Marty. At this point, you know a lot of people have died, but you know the, the Costello family are trying to hold it together. They bring Uncle Red in. Uh, he's playing cards with Marty, and when they interact, uh, Red doesn't talk down to Marty. It's like he's hanging out with someone his age. Right, which maybe isn't appropriate, but I appreciate where it's coming from because of what comes right. later. When it's time for Marty to go to bed, here we go. Yeah. Uh, he has to get, now Marty is a paraplegic. He has to get into this seat to go upstairs. So his mom says, all right, it's bedtime. Uh, you know, He carries up. him up the stairs. Yeah. She puts Marty in this motorized seat that takes him up the steps. And Red uh, makes faces. He goofs off because Marty's moving really slowly up the steps. Crap. And and Red, Red is goofing off. He's making these faces. As soon as Marty's out of sight, though, uh, his face just falls. And it tears him up simply because look, Marty can't walk. And I think that kills Red. And Red turns and real quick just chugs a big thing of uh, wild turkey. And he's like, "Woo!" <laughs> because it's clear he's he loves this kid. I know. We're, we're, both, we're both crying. Um. <laughs> Oh my god! Did you, Jeff? Did you notice that? God. Did you? Did you? See his face. I didn't actually. I'm gonna uh, have to go back and look at. As soon as Marty is out of sight, Red's, I'm crying right Red, now. Red's face it just falls because it's like he's he's having god. fun, but it's it's like you know because you don't want to you don't want to pity someone, and you don't want to make them feel bad, but you want them to do the things that you know deep down they want to do. And so he gets into an argument with Nan about Marty and actually pegs her. And this is where Red's the wise fool. Mm -hmm. Because he tells Nan, he goes, you make Marty's life about what he can't do instead of treating Marty like he has this possibility. Yeah. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Because when I see Marty, I see my kid. I see if something happens. Which is why we're crying. (laughs) Uh, And I can't say enough about Uh, her. That's what I was saying about the wise fool. Right. He... The, the the great, the wonderful thing about Red, Red has tons of flaws, of course, you know, like, I mean, yeah, we all have flaws, but he has this one glaring flaw that, that Nan focuses on, which is his alcoholism. He's not super duper responsible. He's, you know, he, he's kind of floundering a little bit. He's yeah, what they, he's probably the family black sheep. He can't commit to a, a path. Right. Him. He's probably the family black sheep. However, his love is constant and true. 
for Marty. And he look when he looks at Marty, he doesn't see my poor paraplegic nephew. Right. He sees Marty. You can do some stuff. And so what? You don't. Your legs don't work. We're gonna make you the coolest freaking kid whose legs don't work <laughs> that but we've ever seen. The, 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 he sees him for a possibility. And and when he's going up those stairs, we see the a anguish moment, in his eyes of like, I so wish you could just be what you want to be, play baseball and do all those things. But at yeah. the same time, he's also the uncle that makes him a freaking cool motorcycle wheelchair. Yeah. And he's the one who made his motorized wheelchair in the first place that we meet in the in uh, in the very beginning of the story. No. We get backstory that says he made that. But Yeah, but I think you hit it when you said that he is the one that gives Marty that looks at Marty like he's anyone else. Yeah, he when he jokes he even like I mean even when he jokes with them he's like, "Man, I think you're not just your head done not just your legs don't work, your head don't work." Like he he jokes about it like it's not a problem. But it's in just that, part of but it. But in that moment when he goes up the steps, it even shows you that even Red's like, oh, Lee, that's it's not it. fair." Yeah, it's not fair. It's, it's not. not fair. I can't say enough about Uncle Red. He's truly the best part of this film, one of one of the best. Uh, and, and Corey Haim is, is he 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 delivers and a phenomenal performance. And, and it's right around the time of Brady's death and when the town descends into chaos that he arrives and really lightens the story. Now um, that takes us into the Fourth of July, which is a very important day in this story. Uh, because of the murders, the town cancels the Fourth of July celebration. Marty's devastated. Well, Red makes up to Marty, and Brooks already mentioned it. He presents him with an updated silver bullet. Right. The, uh, it's a motorized wheelchair cart, much like the one he has. But it's a freaking motorcycle. It's pretty much a motorcycle. It is a motorcycle. (laughs) And here we go again. Let's be honest. Let's be honest. (laughs) This movie, you really have to watch more than once, and you really have to take your time with it because Marty gets on the um, Marty gets on the new silver bullet, and he's just you know he's so happy, and Red just sits back and he says something very quick. You miss it if you don't pay attention. He goes, "I made it for you because I love you with my whole heart." And I'm just like, oh my gosh! Like oh, he loves, he loves Marty and Jane like so much, and you can see it. And you know, like for the for for the '80s and for this movie, it it really kind of like it, it's it's a beautiful picture. And like I know this is kind of deviating a bit, but it's it's a beautiful picture of what masculinity really could be. I think so. It's beautiful it's because okay Red say. is like totally the all American like dude, bro. But he's like has no problem being like I love the heck out of you, yeah. And that's that's what we all should be, man, woman. I don't care. Like you should be able to tell the people who matter to you that you love that them. you love them, and it doesn't need an occasion. And yeah. I I truly adore Red for that. Yeah, that that's that's the thing. Just when he sits back and says, "I made this for you because I love you with my whole heart." Why am I crying so much in this episode? This it's is just upsetting. Yeah, breaking it down. It's I don't it's, need these emotions. So Mark. <laughs> So uh, another thing Ray gives Marty on 4th of July is uh, a bag of fireworks. Uh, one of them, he says, this is a rocket. He goes, you're going to like it. <laughs> uh, he says, save it for last. So Marty being a kid, uh, you, oh, excuse me, I jumped ahead. He pr- he makes Marty promise that he'll set the fireworks off close to his house. Marty being a kid, of course. He's sne- going to go the furthest from his house. He sneaks out that night and takes a silver bullet far from the house on a bridge. And- I will say he was smart. He did it by water. Yeah. As a kid, like, at least he didn't go yeah. somewhere flammable. <laughs> he goes um, he, he goes to this little bridge, which is, it looks like it's maybe a mile or two from his house. Yeah. On his silver bullet. 
and we find that he's being stalked by the werewolf, which he does encounter. Uh, or encounters I mean, it, him, rather. It, yeah, it just shows up. And uh, Marty, of course, is terrified. He's got one firecracker left, and it's the rocket that Red gave him. He fires the firecracker, which is like a, bot- a big bottle rocket. Yeah, yeah. Straight at the werewolf, hitting its left eye. Horrified, Marty gets home. And we, we, we specifically commented on how terrified Corey Hames performed. He looked terrified. Yeah, oh uh, gosh, yeah. I mean, while we were watching, I was like, how did this kid channel right. this horror? And I need to point out a thing as an English teacher again. We've already pinpointed it, but like obviously the movie's called Silver Bullet. The kid has his his wheelchair, whether it's the old one or the new one, it's called the Silver Bullet. Marty's the Silver Bullet. Okay, like that's yeah. It's hard to ignore that Marty himself is the silver bullet. He yeah. is the first one to encounter the werewolf and make it out. And another and another reference that I couldn't help but ignore. He's what leads to its denial. Yes, demise. but another reference I couldn't help but ignore is that as a biblical reference. Now remember, we've already surmised that something's up. You know, yes, with with Reverend Lowe. You know, there's a passage in the bible that says if you um if your left eye you know if your left eye is you know afflicting you gouge it out right marty hits the werewolf square in the eye oh wow the left eye i have a hard time ignoring (laughs) that reference because of what we find out later so and that takes us to uh what we were talking about earlier with jane how you said i I also want to point out one little thing Yes, yes, do, that, it, do it. You know, whether people think that, you know, it was horribly irresponsible for Red to build him this motorcycle wheelchair. Right. <laughs> ended up saving his life that night. Right. You know, if he was in his, like, little go-kart thing, he'd be dead. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. So. I couldn't imagine. Yeah, no, it's true. So so Marty gets home. He tells Jane everything. He saw a werewolf. Now, here's the thing. He calls Red first, though. Right. Well, Red doesn't believe it at first. No. But he tells Jane. Jane doesn't fully subscribe to the story, but believes Marty saw something. Like because you said, Marty's this is, not a liar. But this goes back to what you said about Jane being on the cusp f- from being a child yeah. to being a, a young woman. Right. So it, she said, I didn't believe all of it, but I believe he saw something. Yeah. You know? She believes him enough to spend the entire day gathering bottles and cans for charity. Yep. But what she's really doing is searching the town for a person with a wounded left eye. And this is where, like you said, Jeff, all those scenes, it, it truly is different now that Jeff brought that up. When she goes into the barbershop, when she goes into these stores, just the slow dolly rights and dolly lefts, like the really slow pans of the camera. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very cinematic. Dreamy. She's not finding anyone. Just the reveals of the people that, yeah. that, that you find out are, okay, well, it's not them, it's not them, it's not this guy, it's not that guy. Exhausted and frustrated, Jane takes the bottles and cans to the church, uh, which is where she drops them off, in this fly-infested storage room. She finds something strange, a wooden bat with the words, the peacemaker, carved on it in the midst we of We all the know who this, whose that was. Yeah, in the midst of the pile of cans. She's then approached, as Jeff said, almost Creepily. stalked by Reverend Lowe with a patch on his left eye. Now, let me talk about Reverend Lowe because... Uh, just to describe him, he's he's always wearing he's like a he's a, he's a priest. Yeah. So he's always wearing like black 
um, with the collar. But but Everett McGill is a tall, wiry, tall, dark, yeah, wiry dude yeah. with really like a strong jawline. He's just striking features. He has very striking features. Yeah. Um, Marty knows that his story borders on impossible, and even Uncle Red thinks they're crazy. So he Marty takes it upon himself. Because Jank, of course, comes back and says, Reverend Lowe has a patch. So Marty starts sending letters to Reverend Lowe, uh, telling him that he knows what he is and that he should kill himself to put an end to everything. This is where I think we get the switch with Lowe. Jane sends the letters. So Jane is now taking full, she's taking a full part in this. Right. She's now becoming a heroine. Not that she wasn't before, but now she's like actively. Yeah, yeah. The letters provoke Lowe. Because he attempts to run Marty down with his car while he's riding home from a baseball game on the silver bullet. On the silver bullet, Lowe traps Marty in this like abandoned bridge, and this is where I think it goes back to what Jeff said: Lowe being as scary as the werewolf because that scene in the bridge, his legs yeah. under the opening. But this is important because this is where Lowe explains, I think, what's happening in his mind. He tells Marty he can't control the wolf, but somehow it's God's will that it's all happening. I think he's right. I think he has. I think he's. There's something in him that it was that was already there. There's some. There's to me. There was some villainous trigger that was already there because he has rationalized this well, curse. There's power in it, right? There, yes, yes. And and look, in a modern age, pastors' religion they've they lose favor. In in this, he has a power. He had he's he's enacting yeah. in his mind a righteous justice. Right. And he explains that with Marty. He says, uh, what what was her name that was gonna that was gonna kill herself? Yeah, he goes, I saved her. She he said, died. She was gonna kill herself. She was gonna go to hell. I fixed it. Yeah. So right. she'll never go to hell now because I killed her. See, God's hand has a you know God, God you basically God works in mysterious ways and it's through me. Right. Marty uh, he attempts to kill Marty. Dirty, dirty use yeah. of Religion. Uh, Lowe attempts to kill Marty to silence him, but before he can do anything, Marty's saved when a local farmer drives by in his tractor, causing Lowe to flee. Marty's silver bullet, however, is damaged by Lowe's car in the chase. It's like a whole car chase. It's really scary. It's scary. I was I was stressed out. And the paint color on Marty's damaged silver bullet matches Lowe's car. It's enough to convince Uncle Red yep. that something's up with Lowe. Not the werewolf yet, but he at least knows... But at the that- very least, a human being is involved in this... Right. Villainy. So Red goes to sh- uh, sheriff uh, the sheriff about Lowe. That night, the sheriff investigates the church, sees the damage on Lowe's car. And it's enough to convince him. It's enough to convince him, but unfortunately, he's confronted by Lowe and witnesses the transformation. This is where we see it. Yeah. I mean, it's a good portion of the we movie, already, right, Jeff? We already know it's Lowe, but now we really know. Well, we witnessed the transformation... And as the werewolf, um, Lowe, beats the sheriff to death with the peacemaker bat once again. Interestingly, very symbolically. So now Sheriff Howler ends up missing. Because the sheriff is trying to bring peace. And, of course, he is killed by the peacemaker. Jane and Marty surmise that it was the werewolf. Because, you know, they even tell Uncle Red, they said, look, now the sheriff's missing. He went to go check him out. Now Mm -hmm. he's missing. By this point, it's October. Marty knows that the wolf will surely come for him, so he and Jane in a when final... He's full, when he's fully the wolf. Yeah, he's fully the wolf. It's going to be a full moon. So for he and Jane, um, he de- they decide in a final desperate act 
to convince Uncle Red to take Marty's silver pendant and Jane's silver crucifix and have it made into a silver bullet. I want to mention something that's in the script that doesn't go into the film. Marty's pendant is a St. Christopher's pendant. Okay, and who is St. Christopher? He protects travelers. Perfect. Which is interesting because, you know, Marty's shooting all around town. Yes, you know? yes, 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 yes. Um, Patron saint of... And, Jeff, I want to go to this because I love this part of the movie. <laughs> the, the, we, we, watch the, we watch the making of the silver bullet. It's the, the, the pendant and the crucifix yeah. are melted down. And I want to read the quote because uh, Tova Felcha is, is, is... We have the older Jane narrating this, and I'm going to read it. Uncle Red's friend Mac was more than a gunsmith. He was, Uncle Red said, an old-world craftsman, a sort of wizard of weapons. The gunsmith confirmed the high-grade silver content of my crucifix and Marty's medallion, melted them down, and molded them into a silver bullet. I want to say another thing. <laughs> in the script, in the script, uh, Mac is written as a Gandalf-type character. Yes. And Jeff, do you remember... Uh, when Mac presents the bullet to Red, he goes, "This is the thing, the best thing I've ever made." He goes, "It's." He goes, "It won't tumble." It, so, and, and Red goes, "Well, I ain't going to shoot it, basically." And the guy says, "Well, unless you're shooting a werewolf, it's almost why like why would he know that? It's why almost would he like guess that. Well, it's interesting. It's like yeah. it's like King put Mac as almost someone who's like you need this all knowing. Yeah, right. Did you get that, mm-hmm. Jeff? He, that he noticed. Oh, he yeah. said, no, I, I love that scene. Like especially with the narration, it's." It was it was really effective. It's interesting that that Mac, this you know what you would think is just an old gunsmith, he makes something which you would think would be a trinket because uh, Red even says to him, he "Goes my nephew loves the Lone Ranger. He wants a silver bullet." But he makes no, something. he never said that. He that's the cool thing. Red never said that. Hmm? Mac said that. He said my my uh you know my uh my nephew's gotten really into a Lone Ranger, and Mac said uh-huh. he wants a silver bullet. But it's interesting that Mac not only he doesn't make this like little trinket a kid. No, he makes a legit. He makes a legit ballistic object, like something that he said. He says it won't (laughs) tumble. Ballistic object. No, well, that's what bullets are. I know. It's just it's it's true. He he makes it to where he says this will be fired and it will be accurate. So it's almost there's there is a higher power at work. It seems. Yeah. Yeah. Like he he made this to work. (laughs) Like you know, like he he wasn't like just screwing around like. Eh, let me just make this some something that makes going to make a kid happy. I'm going to make this thing work, you know. Yeah, well, but, but it goes back to the SKU that there is this higher SKU. this high, there's there's a higher power of evil, but there's also a good working against it. Right, and what's I think it's it's interesting that you know the person who we assume is the higher power in the town, this priest, he's actually the villain. Yeah. So it's kind of like. It, it, is it does he represent that? What what is what else is at work? It's it's a wonderful. Think... It's such a wonderful thing to unpack because I'm like, man, like I don't think so. I mean, what is yeah. what is going on? Obviously, I love it. If there the, the higher power, I think is working through um, what I find in Stephen King's novels stories, everyday or, people, ordinary people. Yes, which is which fits the bill way more accurately. Like in my Mac, opinion. like Red, like Marty. Like yeah. Him. I mean, yeah. and if you're and if you're gonna go the biblical trope way, if you're gonna actually look at you know those stories, it was always regular people. It was always it was farmers. People. It was yeah. tax collectors. It was fishermen. It's just regular folks. It yeah. was never. It the, was. It really was never the, the higher. You no. Know. Right. So I and I I love that. I that 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 fits. Yeah. That feels so, good. Despite his doubts, Red again makes the silver has the silver bullet made. 
He, and he also arranges that Jane and Marty's parents go on a getaway so he can spend the night with them watching. For, on Halloween. On Halloween night, watching for the werewolf. Which that would never work for us. We'd be like, no, we, no. The bullet, by the way. <laughs> staying on Halloween. <laughs> yeah. The bullet, by the way, was made to fit a forty-four cal- uh, forty-four Magnum. So Red has a forty-four Magnum revolver loaded with one silver bullet. In the early morning hours, national anthems playing, TV's over. Yep. Uh, as Red uh, as Red is ready to give up, the kids are asleep and they get up and stuff. And he's like, Red, "Just go to bed." Red's like, "We're going to bed." Red is ready to give up to the point of taking the bullet out of the gun. The wolf indeed arrives. It cuts the power to the house and bursts in. And in the scuffle, the silver bullet is knocked into a floor bent. Red fights the wolf, but it incapacitates him uh, and heads for Marty and Jane. Marty is able to get the bullet out of the vent. Loads the gun and fires, hitting the werewolf in the right eye. Interesting. Yep. The, At, ne- the, the next affliction is gouged out. Yeah. As it dies, it turns back in, into Reverend Lowe. As Red, Jane, and Marty sit together in the aftermath, Marty and Jane say they love each other. That's sweet. The narrator, the older Jane, says that it was something she could never say before, but from that point on, she could, and says again, I love you, Marty. Good night. So and that, sweet. And that is Silver Bullet. Awesome movie. Love it. Yeah. So there we go. <laughs> um, so let's take a second, though. Now we have a time to talk about, I mean, I know we kind of went through that scene fast, but Jeff, we see the werewolf once and for all. And I think you you mentioned at one point before we started recording. Uh, you it didn't look fantastic. You mentioned bear costume. <laughs> yeah. It, it it looked like it was it was put together pretty quickly. Um, didn't look great. <laughs> Let's but, be honest. But I mean, I, I like the whole big hulking werewolf. I like that version of the werewolf. You know, I, I like all werewolves really. Um, but that that particular it, it, it was the head. I don't know. There was some proportions that were off. Who knows? I mean, you know, like. Let's say, I mean, let's be honest. It could have been better. <laughs> yeah, it could have been better. Yeah. I, I, I'd have to give props, though, Jeff, um, to when uh, the werewolf begins to transform back into Low after he's killed. Um, yeah, that's pretty cool. Jeff, one part I remember is seeing the hair get sucked back into the skin. Like, he, he it, you, do you remember seeing that? Like, how do they do that? Like, yeah. you see the hair almost shrink back into, yeah, like, cool. human skin. You remember that? Yeah, yeah. I mean... I, I'm guessing they just played it in reverse, you know, did did some prosthetic, you know, like they, they um, I don't know. I don't know how they do the hair effect. I, I, I never looked in, into that. I, I think it's probably like a, um, probably a, a very like malleable, like gelatin that they squeeze through like a prosthetic and it creates like hair like, you know, um, tendril you know things and they probably just did that but they didn't did it in reverse you know more than likely it, it just was really the transformation is really the transformation right. from wolf the to actual man wolf, wolf was lackluster but the transformation was pretty cool yeah i mean it definitely uh, it, it definitely was it, it, it i mean i thought it was a great payoff you know um and i, I agree with you guys that the wolf was not fantastic but it just <laughs> it didn't bother me because by the time we get to the wolf at the end we have uncle red there We've seen all this with with Marty and Jane, and we've seen Jane become this like fearless young lady who's like, I don't know what the heck's going on, but I'm going to stand by Marty. Something's happening, you know. And um, it, it it just, I mean, what a, I just thought it was a great movie. Yeah, 
Yeah, well, and you can't help but see the symbolism, and I think that's this is the the, the greater symbolism in the whole werewolf lore, but especially in this story, is that nobody is fully what they seem. No. Marty is not a paraplegic kid. He is incredibly brave. He's the silver bullet. Yeah. He, you know what I mean? He, he is acute. He's wise. Jane is not Jane a Jane pl- is not Not just, a plain Jane. No, no she's fun. not a, yeah, she's not a plain Jane. She, when, when, when it comes to the task, she believes what's right. Even if it's beyond belief. Yeah. Uncle Red is not just a drunk. No, he, he could, is, on, he could honestly have his own kids. Yeah, he's loving, caring, when it comes down to it, responsible. I think the, I think the werewolf lore lends itself to, you know, the, uh, you know, the author, you know, showing his audience that nobody's what they seem. Right. Anybody can be a villain and anybody can be a hero. Yeah, that's awesome. And I think that's both the devastating and hopeful truth of the story. Yeah, that's a good Sorry, one. I had to I had to be an English teacher for no, a No, that's good. <laughs> but I, I think that's a great way to end it. I really don't have anything else, you know, uh, better than that to add. Um, but it, it just, if you've not seen Silver Bullet, uh, I mean, even if you know how, even if you listen to this podcast, you know how it all goes down. Still, uh, you still need to watch it. You need to watch Silver Bullet. It's I on mean, Amazon. You can rent it on Amazon. I mean, it, it's like I said. Even even knowing what's even even I knew how it was going to end when I watched it with Brooke last night, and I was still <laughs> I was still like putting my hands in my hair, like oh my god. I know yeah. you were. You really yeah. were. <laughs> it's it's really good. I mean, Jeff, when did you when what were what was going on when you were watching it? Well, you know, I watched a couple of months ago. It was on like Shutter, I think. You know, the the, the streaming service, the horror streaming service, and. I had like a tree, a free trial for a while, and uh, it's not on there anymore. I looked for it because I was going to watch it again before the podcast, but I didn't. I ended up having time anyway because I had a couple busy days. Um, and, but uh, I remember having all those emotions you did. Like you know, I, it, it, it had been years since I'd seen it. Probably uh, maybe a teenager, or even younger. And yeah, like when I watched it again, it was like it was so it was so good. I mean. And I, I know again that the you know Robert Roger Ebert liked it, but you know the critics mostly didn't. I don't I don't I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what's wrong with these people. Well, even but, my students liked it. I talk, I asked that? some of my students if they liked it. And they're, I, if they'd seen it, and at, I mean they're fifteen, sixteen years old. They're like, oh my god, I love Silver Bullet. And I was like, man, this thing still translates. That's awesome. I just hope the kids don't run into it because of the wolf. Uh, the the well was scared. It's a werewolf. People are getting killed and stuff like no, that. No, they I mean, said they love the story. I just I love that it really is a story about love. I think that you really ha- that really has to be the basis of your story. Yeah, I, I love that it ends with "I love you, Marty." Good night. It's such a simple statement. Well, that's, I mean, that's why things like "Haunting of Hill House" and "Bly Manor" are popular. They have that heart as well. Oh yeah, don't get me started on "Haunting Hill House" with the dad. <laughs> and stuff. It's just, you really have to have people that love each other. Yeah, it's really got to be motivated by that, you know. From the because the things that are really powerful in this film are Uncle Red and Marty, and the "I made this for you because I love you," and 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 you know Herb Kinca- uh, Herb Kincaid, you know Brady's dad, and. I mean, it's that and Marty stuff. And, and his sister. Yeah, it's just I think that really what what is what grabs you in this story if you can really look at it the right way. And yeah, I love getting creeped out by a werewolf too. I mean, that's all <laughs> there. That's all baked into the cake. It's wonderful, but it's great to be like, man, you love these people and they love each other. And yeah, that's why it was so great. I mean, heck, it was great to see Pennywise come on screen. But I loved watching these kids and these this, these men and women just be willing to to sacrifice to, for one another. Yeah. They loved each other. So, anyway, so that's the point. 
Gotta love each other. I really <laughs> think that's that's what every story is trying to scream at all of us. Yeah. Gotta love absolutely. each other. Um, so, yeah, this has been great. Uh, if anybody has anything else. Any if, final thoughts, Jeff? Anything final, Jeff? Um, well, I, I, I did want to add at some point that, like, um, I, that this this is a werewolf movie, but it but it it kind of flips the whole werewolf, uh, you know, and and other uh, stories like American Werewolf in London or even the Wolfman, you know, is as many of them as I can think. We know who the werewolf is almost at the very beginning of the movie, and it and it and it, and it always plays on that fact, like oh I'm a werewolf, you know, lock me up, you know, don't don't let me out, you know, like the guy's always worried. But and this is more this kind of flips it on its head. And we don't know who the werewolf is until about halfway through the movie. And it's more of a slasher serial killer type. You know, it kind of, it kind of you know, brings a new element to it. And I, li- and I think that was one of the reasons why it, it, st- it stands out to me as in, uh, among the other werewolf movies. As much as I love them too. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, that's a good, that's a really good point. It's true because we don't, we, we, you really can't even surmise who it is until halfway through. No, if you've never seen it, no. And if you listen to the tapes, well, then you know. But um, right. <laughs> now I want to recycle the werewolf because I've I've heard good things from people yeah. who've read that. So yeah, I've um, never read it actually. I, I, I need to do that. Yeah, now I want to get involved in that. So <laughs> yeah, welcome to this SKU. And another okay. um, another good Corey Haim. Not really a werewolf movie, but it's like a monster movie. It's called The Watchers or just Watchers. I think I don't know if you've ever heard of that one. It's really good. Um. I, well, it, I wouldn't say good. It's it was good when I was like you know ten. <laughs> I haven't seen it in years, so it's probably terrible. But like, um, yeah, it's it's a good monster flick, you know. As far as like in Corey Haim, I really love Corey Haim when I was a kid. I loved this this guy. It's so tragic what happened what ended up happening in his career and everything. Um, uh, I, I think he 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 you know if things would have played out differently, he he might be like a, a really accomplished actor at this point. Yeah, I think I so. Think I think so. it's no doubt that he had that ability. And again, you know, rest in peace. You know, uh, Brooke. Well, you know, we've been going for over an hour. If you've been with us, <laughs> you know, as always, we want to thank you for your time. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your time, everyone. Um, if you've you know if you listen to this little podcast, we appreciate you. We just want you to know that we love you. Brooke, why don't you tell them where they can find us so we can sign it off. Say goodnight. All righty. Um, if you're on Instagram, we are at the tape store. That's where we spend most of our time where we message you guys. So please hit us up there. We're also on TikTok by the same name. If you're on Twitter, we are the tape store pod. And if you'd like to send us an email, we'd love to hear from you. We are the tape store podcast at gmail.com. Uh, Jeff, it's been great. I mean, as always. Well, me and Jeff, it, it, every other night, it's either he's watching, <laughs> he's virtually watching Community with Brooker. <laughs> me and him are playing PS4, so it's not the end for me and Jeff. No, no, it no, won't no. be a month. It'll be in a little bit. In a little bit, <laughs> which is always wonderful and great. <laughs> we love that. Uh, but um, Jeff, it, it's just great to have you on the show. Of course, it's always, always. I'm always happy to be here. Anytime they ask me, I'm like, yeah, sure. <laughs> what, what are we doing? <laughs> I don't even care. I'll do it. Well, we're going to have you back real soon. Oh, yes. um, guys, again, thank you. And, uh, I mean, I know it's been a long episode. I honestly thought this was going to be kind of compact, but it just goes to show you how much. <laughs> Are we, you serious? We just love the scary <laughs> stuff. We love the scary stuff. We love the spooky stuff. We do. But I thought Steven, it was going to be a, two, a two-parter for a minute there. Yeah. I know. I did, too. <laughs> it could have been, but I think we're going to be. I, I really, you know, I think this is yeah, fine. Yeah. Um, so, guys, with that, um, we're going to let you go until next week. I'm excited to see what we're going to talk about uh, because we're just getting into High Spooky Month. It's going to be great. Uh, Have a great week. 
be good to each other, love each other, wherever you are, whoever it is. We all deserve it. We all need it. Uh, and we will see you guys next week with great 80s and 90s nostalgia on the Tape Store Podcast. Until then, this is Toby. This is Brooke. And this is Jeff. And to all of our Tape Store family, we want to say we love you. Good night. Good night.